Tappers, what's up? It is the Friday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope you guys had a good week and you're going to have a better weekend. We got a good show today. We are going to talk about edge rushers in the building Murph's draft manifesto. We will talk about the Giannis return, the Bucks win against Atlanta, and also preview a little bit of Memphis. We will also chat about the Brewers and their weekend series against the Pittsburgh Pirates and why they should not take those buckos lightly. So that's our show today, um, and that will wrap us up for the week. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's get started with the edge rusher for the draft manifesto. We're almost done. We got two more left. I'm going to be out of town next week. So what we're going to do is we're going to have all those manifestos together lumped into one. So if you missed one, um, and I know a lot of you have listened, which I really appreciate um, and thank you for that. But if you have missed one, you can basically have the entire collection. We're going to have Murph on the podcast next week to talk about kind of the final sort of here's where we are. What have we learned throughout this time? And yeah, we'll we'll get into it, and it'll be a lot of fun uh, just chopping it up with him. We might also have another uh, Murph appearance uh, down the road. Um, we are probably due for a spring jam. Um, we've done summer jam. We've done. I think we did the fall jam. Uh, we we probably are due for the spring jam. I feel like the four one four draft that Mitch and I kind of discussed is probably what what we are going to do. Um, so stay tuned on that. Um, but yeah, a lot to come. Uh, very excited stuff. But let's let me waste no more time because I'm just rambling at this point. So let's talk edge rushers, and we'll be back on the other side to talk Bucks and Brewers. All right, living on the edge, edge rushers, the topic of building Murph's draft manifesto. Some people would be like, "Why are you guys even talking about edge? You have Rashawn Gary, you have Preston Smith, you have Zadarius Smith. Well, you can never have enough guys to rush a quarterback." And Maybe it's not a position of need as some other ones. And I think if if they drafted an edge in the first round, people would lose their shit. But still, it's worth talking about. And it's worth getting excited about. And if that's going to make your defense better, I'm all for it. And if you just become this pass rushing machine, all into it. Murph's here with us again, at the Nolan Murphy on Twitter, Instagram. And he'll be breaking down the draft as it gets closer and closer uh, for us and just for the people at large. What's up, Murph? You hit this on the head. I'm doing well. This is the one where Packer fans lose it on draft night. If we pick yeah. uh, a DN, 3-4 outside linebacker, they're going nuts. Because this means we already have Rashawn Gary. We're paying Preston Smith and Z Smith. We got, you know, uh, Ramsey. Uh, what's his nickname? Uh, uh, R- Randy Ramsey? Randy Ramsey. He's got a good nickname. Ram Jam? Ram Jam. We'll can't think Jam. of him. But this is the one where Packer fans go ballistic. This is Jordan Love back-to-back years. What are we doing? It's an interesting position. Um, You know, we said this in the D-line podcast for the interior defensive line. I think probably the hardest one to figure out how they're going to translate to the NFL. Also the hardest one to figure out because you go on these draft websites and they have four positions broken down. You got rusher, D-end, 3-4 outside linebacker, 3-4 outside D-end. It's like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think this is where the nerds sometimes get a little too heavy. This uh, is the tweener in basketball. Yeah. Is he a 3-D is he a three and D guy or is he not out of a position? He's Jabari Parker. Right, exactly. And I think we kind of overdo it where it's like, basically here, here, break it down for us. Can they rush a quarterback can they not all right cool great that's all we need to know is that's guy, all i care yeah or is this guy three four like i think we're overusing the word edge in just it's become such a football word 
And it's like, okay, is he is he an edge, actually an edge, in a 3-4 outside linebacker? Or is he a defensive lineman with his hand down in a 4-3? Like, let us know that because that's important. Because not all these guys are going to be playing in 3-4 systems. And the worry is that you draft somebody like Barkevius Mingo, who's a career special teamer. Fucking love Barkevius yeah, Mingo. College. I was there. Yeah, Barkevius Mingo. Man, it was probably the name more <laughs> yeah. than anything else. I think I had a Facebook status back when it was cool to have Facebook statuses, where I was like, I'm naming my firstborn Barkevius. Kiki Mingo was, you know, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane out of LSU. He's still in the NFL somehow because he's so long and he plays special yeah. teams. But he weighed like 220 pounds. He was drafted in the first round by the Browns. He's a complete bust. There's a kid from Georgia who's I, – I don't I cannot pronounce his name. I don't have him on my board. Um, that is kind of like that, right? Where he's – he has like no weight on him. He also comes from like the Leonard Floyd school. As like, he's Olajari, I think. Yeah, like, there you go. We'll, we'll, give, we'll, we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. <laughs> Mitch Pratt is just in pain. Mitch <laughs> is like – he has his fist like just crunch like the Arthur meme. Like that's Mitch right now. Like we've we had two memes so far in this in this podcast already. We have like the Elmo gif with the fire if we draft an edge, and then Mitch with the fist upset at our our butchering of names. But yeah, I think Georgia has a guy every year that is like super athletic, but has no weight on him, and he might be good at rushing. And Leonard Floyd just got paid by the Rams. Leonard Floyd though, yeah, you gotta be pissed if you're a Bears fan though that that they somehow unlocked Leonard Floyd. Yeah, that's pretty annoying. It, this is a position that the Packers will not, I hope, address day one or day two. Day three, we have a lot of picks. I don't really care. Yeah, but I oh, would be—I I mean, I would be shocked. And I'll just kind of go like if a Jalen Phillips, I, I would be pretty shocked. He might fall there, but I don't think Goody's going to pull the trigger. That guy also has a lot of issues. You know, he was a number one overall recruit for UCLA. He's not—he's probably a guy I would put there. As I don't want to be in the Vikings because. They already have Daniel Hunter, and yeah. we're going to do this a little backwards, but like, this is just not a first-round selection for the Packers, right? No, no, it's not. Well, the only guy I have, and I have it in my notes, and I said it would be a hot, hot take, and Packers would freak in all capitalization, but if Gregory Russo is there late, this guy was a top-five pick at before the season. He opted out. I do have some concerns about a guy who opts out at the edge position just from a experience You're not an opt-out guy. You're not an opt-out guy. I'm not. I'm not. And it might be my opinion on the pandemic and all the other thing, but I just, I don't think that there are a lot of positions where opting out makes sense. And I think Rousseau doesn't have a lot of experience, is a project. It would be really similar to Gary. But if you have Rousseau and Gary as your two edge rushers for the future, you are fucking set. Yes. And it's like, it's not a worry for the next 10 years. I'm convinced of that. And I don't want to see Rousseau go to the Vikings. I don't want to see him go into the Bears. And I think he could because I think he's falling right around that that time they're drafting. So I just, he was a top five pick. I, I can't emphasize that enough. People thought he'd go in the top five. He's not. He's going late. And I think you'd get great value with him. But again, I think people would hate it. What are your thoughts on Jason Owa and Kawiti Pei from Michigan and Penn State, respectively? Uh, always on my list. Uh, again, another project, project, but there is a lot of potential there. Uh, he's a freak athlete. That is something Green Bay loves. We know the Raz scores are something that Brian Gunacus loves more than Mitch Pratt loves cake. Um, like seriously, he loves the he loves that score. The Raz score. We we didn't mention Sam Kors, Korsme, who had like a perfect score in the tackles podcast, um, which we should have, and I realized that uh, posthumously, but. 
Oea is a freak. He can play. Who's the other guy? Quiddy Payne. I don't think Quiddy Payne will be there. Um, I no. like I like Quiddy Payne a lot. I think he. I think he you actually. Don't think he'll be there either for like a Bears or Vikings. I think, I think he will be there for the Bears or Vikings. He's on my list. The guys that he was on. It was Russo and him were the two guys who I was like, I don't want to see them. I think Quiddy Payne was actually probably more productive in college than Rashawn Gary. If you watch the tape, like I think he did more like in terms of impactful plays than Gary. Well, I mean, Rashawn Gary didn't get drafted because of his production. Right. He got drafted because of his potential. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting. The guy, the first guy on my, like, Packers board was Peyton Turner from Houston. This guy's got an 84-inch wingspan. <laughs> he will be a day two, day three pick. Uh, he played a lot at Houston, and, you know, th- they've had success. Look at yeah. at Oliver. He, he's been a pretty good pro at the end of the day. Um, but, again, this is a tough position, and I think this is, like, we might end up taking like a Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh way late in day three. I don't think this is even going to be something we approach in uh, the second or third round. And see, I do have Joseph Osai on my on my list, who it would be a day two guy from because, Texas. Yes, because he has drawn some Clay Matthews comparisons, which I love. So if if he's already think about drawn, how many jerseys that guy would sell. Right. I mean, Shopko <laughs> would open back up just to sell those jerseys to white people in Wisconsin. Right. He is an athletic freak. It's gonna again. Another guy who it's going to take some time. I think that is the theme of this edge thing is none of these guys are going to be ready to play right away. But, yeah, I think he's there. What do you think about a guy like Quincy Roche, who's from Miami? He was a transfer from Temple, sack machine, didn't have that much of an impact at Miami as he did with Temple. Is that Does that worry you when a guy transfers to a bigger school and doesn't have the same I, success? I blame that on Manny Diaz probably at okay. the end of the day. He's right. an interesting defense. I mean, Wyatt Hubert from Kansas State, he's an edge guy. Uh, he just looks like a plug-and-play for Dean Lowry. I mean, he's just, you know, to your Clay Matthews point, just, you know, rekindle that energy we had right. in Packers Nation overall. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think those are all those are all interesting guys. That, the Turner one I'm still stuck on because, like, 84-inch wingspan is crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, get it, him on the books. Right, exactly. <laughs> or you just have him block field goals. Exactly. Like, you just all He's you old do... Mount Cody. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Mount Cody. Oh, what a, what a legend Mount Cody was. Um, but, you know, Ernest Brown is the is a guy from Northwestern I look at just because... The connection. Mark, the connection. Mark Murphy likes to take these guys. Goody listens to him. We always usually take a Northwestern guy. It's tradition. It's, it is. It's like We're gonna that taxes drafting a Northwestern guy. It's part, guy of, the, the it's part of the recruitment process. If you don't work out, we might have you drafted by the Packers or, in the 6th and 7th Or you're round. an undrafted free agent that we bring in. Exactly. Two. I think, speaking of undrafted free agents, this is a position that we probably look at there. Yes. Somebody that fell because of off the field or yeah, measurable. This is your Sam Shields, Sam Shields special, right? Where you just get a guy or what you saw with Chris Barnes, right? Where you find a guy kind of on the scrap heap a little bit that could potentially work out for you and play meaningful snaps for the Green Bay Packers. Other thoughts on the the edge off outside linebacker position for you? I, I don't have that many more. Um, I We've kind of went through a lot of my guys that I Rosso have. Rosso was supposed to be like the top yes. guy. In oh, this yeah. And this goes back to what we just said about defensive linemen interior. This is not a draft where you have that like uh, you know, you have that Suggs type but of Rosso, generational But Rosso com- was supposed to be that guy. I Do you think like Okay, so kind of walk that back. Do you think that it's a situation where there's such an obsession with offense that we're like missing out on a Quiddy Payne, a Rousseau? These guys are getting sort of put into the later first round because of this obsession with the wide receivers and, and the, the quarterbacks. Court. Yes, I do think there's going to be a lot of value in 20 to 32 that there usually isn't. Right, because they're just looking at it like, 
everybody's just getting obsessed with offense. And I get it. Offense runs the world. But these guys are really good players. And the offensive tackle we talk about with Slater and, and Suell, like, really, we're going to let these guys go to the, the 10 to 20? And then I think you're just going to see an overcorrection. And maybe this is one of those drafts where everybody is so offensively obsessed, mostly because the quarterback draft next year kind of sucks. And so that's why I think a lot of people are trying to get their quarterbacks this year. That's fair. And that's, I guess, to wrap, you know, edge rushers, outside linebackers. Jalen Phillips is a guy I'd love in the second round. Yeah. I mean, the former number falls, one overall. Yeah, yeah. And that's the Rousseau thing. It's if he falls, you get him. Yeah. And at that point, you have some equity. You have ability to move around and start picking guys because there's going to be a run on these players once the second round starts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's and maybe that's the thought for a lot of these teams in the the – top of the draft where they're like all right we're gonna go get offense and then we think defense will be there in the second round so maybe it is a strategy to get your defensive guys early and if you're a, a good team you know you're a 20 to 30 pick or and then you know knowing that that run might come but you never know how these drafts work man they're crazy that's how it is when we come back uh my second favorite position of the draft linebacker a position the packers have needed it feels like since desmond bishop and nick barnett that's where you hear us next. See you later. Okay, that was the edge rushers. Yeah, a little shorter than uh, a few of our other ones. But, you know, they, there just wasn't much there from an edge rush perspective. I think that, as we talked about on the show, it's it's a hard position to predict. Um, I know I wrote a little hard for Gregory Rousseau. He did not have the Roz score. Roz score, by the way, is like the... Packer guide to who they might draft. If you aren't familiar with Roz scores, I would recommend that you take a look at them. Um, I think it will really help like level set your expectations of who Green Bay might draft or who they might not draft. Um, Russo did not hit that Roz score. So I obviously am now saying, all right, he's not going to be a part of it. It's funny how stuff changes, right? Because I rode really hard in the wide receiver podcast for Rondale Moore. Now I'm pretty much out on Moore. Um, Murph and I talked about Moore uh, through tax. Like him and I have probably talked more about the draft um, than I think we ever have, which is great. Like I love it. Um, it's a lot of fun. I probably am as dialed into this draft as I've really ever been. I I always like the draft, but I, I kind of... I struggle sometimes because I feel like it's overkill. So I, I've done a really good job of just focusing on the Green Bay Packers and nothing else. Um, I will say that the kind of buzz around Justin Fields to San Francisco gives me fucking heartburn. Um, but that's, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there on Thursday night because that would really, really suck for the Packers. But we're not going to go there just yet. We will wait and see what will happen uh, with Fields and the 49ers. But that, yeah, that would suck. People who are like, oh, they should get Kyle Pitts and just say fuck the world. I do also kind of like that. And that also gives me equally heartburn. But man, I, the Kyle Pitts stuff is just wild. I, I I don't understand that people are just like, well, if we make him a wide receiver, he's he's a top five pick. And I talked about this on another show, but whatever. It, he's not a fucking wide receiver. He's a tight end. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, whatever. I won't, I won't go down that rabbit hole again. I'll move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks last night had a great win against the Atlanta Hawks, 120 to 109. They really were not ever pushed. I mean, the Hawks did grab a lead at one point 
in the third quarter, but it was short-lived and Milwaukee sort of pulled away. I mean, I think a good indication of the Bucks' control of this one is, yeah, the Hawks kind of had a nice third quarter, but by the end of it, the Bucks were still up 12. They were up 12 at halftime. So basically, they tied the third quarter. So, and that that was the Hawks' chance to kind of push it back. It didn't happen. Most of the reason was because Trey Young was awful last night, and a lot of that was because of Drew Holiday, who basically had him on lockdown. Uh, Drew Holiday has had a great year defensively. The Bucks social media team said that he's a defensive player of the year. I haven't thought about that. Probably worth a discussion uh, if that Holiday should be considered. Now, granted, a lot of guards do not get the luxury of centers and big men. Usually, Gobert, Giannis, Dwight Howard in the past. They all it's they, it's kind of unfair because they have the blocks. And the rebounds, so a lot of the guards get kind of left out of that shuffle. But yeah, Holiday was awesome on on Trey Young. And if the Hawks are going to think about a playoff appearance against the Bucks, I mean, they need to hope they don't see the Bucks because they do not match up well. It, I know John Collins is out, but even when John Collins was healthy, they just don't. They're not a good matchup. There are certain teams that really do not match up well with what the Bucks do. And it's part Budenholzer system, but it's part Giannis because Giannis just creates matchup nightmares. And we've saw it against like a team like Detroit or Portland's another team where the Bucks just own them. The Detroit team I'm referring to is like Blake Griffin, uh, Andre Drummond. Boston is another team that whatever, I know that Boston challenges Milwaukee and I know Boston has beat Milwaukee, but Boston has trouble with Giannis because they just don't have the size to keep up. Now, maybe Robert Williams is that difference maker and that can, you know, change a lot of things. Boston right now is red hot. And I, I think when the dust is settled, Boston's going to end up being the four seed. After all the drama of the Celtics, I think Boston's going to end up being the the four seed uh, regardless, which is hilarious in its own right just because everybody freaked out about the Celtics team and then they're where I think everybody expected them at the the start of the season um but that's here and are there so yes I it was a really good win I, I think having Giannis back I know he didn't play a ton I think just him alone is is good and I, I think obviously we have to manage our expectations with what we are going to see from Kumbo in the next few games it's clear based on his post-game comments that his knee really was bothering him and that his knee was a real issue and it didn't seem like Milwaukee was just resting him to rest him now you could argue that they were because they weren't playing exactly the top echelon of teams right they were kind of playing the bottom feeders of the west now Golden State has kind of got hot since their game against the Bucks, but those teams were not the good ones, and Milwaukee really should have probably won one or one more game. I mean, the Dallas game probably not, but that Golden State game should have definitely been a win. So it did cost the Bucks one win. Obviously, the Charlotte one was just a punt. And now it's like, well, what do you do with Giannis going forward? Well, I do think you're going to see Giannis on the court for a lot of these games. Like, I think Memphis is another one where there'll be a minutes restriction. Bud won't say that there's a minutes restriction, but there's definitely a minutes restriction. I'll be curious about Phoenix. Phoenix doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because it's a Western Conference team. And Western Conference records are not as important and you're looking at tiebreakers. It's like, I think the fourth thing that gets decided on a tiebreaker 
tiebreaker. But it's a team that Milwaukee could meet in the finals. So it's like, do you do you really like roll out the full squad? And yeah, that they should have beat the Suns the last time. Remember, they had a 17-point lead in Phoenix, and then they lost it late. And Chris Paul was incredible in the fourth quarter. Jay Crowder, Noted Bucks killer, was another thorn in that side. And so we'll see. We'll see if uh, Milwaukee's kind of goes back with their full squad. If they're saying, all right, Giannis is fully rested, or if they're going to wait really a full week before the Philadelphia showdown. So the Philadelphia weekend where the Bucks and Sixers play two games, which those two games are going to be awesome. I, I'm very excited for them. I'm very sad that I will be in Austin, Texas for both of those. I'm not sad I'll be in Austin. I'm really actually looking forward to it. I definitely need, it, need a vacay. Just, I don't know how it started, but and not to kind of rabbit hole here, but I was like, for a while, I was like, ah, I'm not sure, whatever. And as I've gotten closer and the weather's kind of been shitty, it's it's going to be really cold this weekend. I'm like, all right, dude, just get me to Austin, all right? So I will be in Austin. I probably will watch that Thursday game, I would imagine, if we're out and about. I'll try to make sure the Bucks and Sixers are on the TV. And and then the, the Saturday game might be a little tougher uh, at the 2.30 spot. But we'll try. We'll try. If nothing else, I will probably DVR both so I can watch it on Sunday when I get back so we can have a, a fun podcast on Monday about it. So stay tuned on that. But yeah, I, I think Giannis is going to probably be fully healthy at some point in the next week. I just, I don't, I didn't expect it against Atlanta. I don't really expect it against Memphis, uh, maybe Phoenix, definitely uh, Philadelphia. And as for that game against Memphis, that I mean, talk about a game that will be tough for Milwaukee. And Memphis, Tyler, Taylor Jenkins, A, knows Bud's system because he's a Bud disciple. But B, Memphis gave Milwaukee quite a challenge the first time around. Uh, it was down to the wire. Um, it took a Drew Holiday shot to win it. Um, one of the better Bucks finishes of, of the season. Um, Memphis has back-to-back against Chicago. Also, you got to remember about Memphis is they're trying to get out of the play- playing game. It's probably unlikely that they'll get out of the playing game, but they're at least trying to get the seventh seed to get home court advantage and be, you know, have sort of the ball in their court, shall we say, and just need one game to win and advance and stay out of that needing two to advance. So Memphis obviously kind of playing in that desperation mode. They do play Chicago tonight. So they are on a back-to-back when they face Milwaukee, but that's a young team. I I don't really, when it comes to -to back-to-backs, I know there's a lot of controversy right now. The new narrative is like this schedule was compressed and so many guys are getting hurt. And I'll, I'll give a thought on that. But Memphis is not a team I'd worry about that because they are, they're a young team and they have a lot of young, young guys. So they should be all right. And I don't expect them to rest anybody, especially when you have like you're down to the wire trying to get into the playoffs. Not only get into the playoffs, but avoid that sort of having to win two games. As for the commentary around the the compressed schedule, look, I understand. Baxter Holmes had a stat. He had a long piece. I haven't read it. I'll admit that because it just came out, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, and I, I have things to do. I got to get get to the gym here, get a pump uh, for the Friday morning before the day job starts. 
he said they he quoted some stats. He's like, this is the second highest rate of all stars that have got hurt this year. So like 56, 15%, excuse me, 15% have gotten it the most since 2004, 2005, or I'm sorry, 2014 and 2015 where they've had the most. So this is the second most. That, now, that was a full year, right? Like, I don't think that was a lockout year, 2014 and 2015. Like, that was a normal ass year. So, I, it's a little counterintuitive because you're like, all right, if the 2014-2015 NBA season was normal, then there's no real, like, correlation. I think, and, and Bill Simmons touched on this on his podcast yesterday with Jackie McMullen was like, I just think a lot of star players are getting hurt, which obviously the all-star thing, we've seen this in the NFL too, right? Remember, God, was that two years ago where there were so many like star players that got hurt and people were hand wringing about injuries and oh my God, and this, and it's, it's worse in the NBA because the NBA treats their players like they're, you know, special pro like, I mean, the, the player empowerment in the NBA is ridiculous. So I I'm not surprised that this is coming out. I'm not surprised that coaches and GMs are pushing back on it. But I, you got to think, like, what else were they going to do? The league was going to lose a significant amount of money, a astronomical amount of money, if they started this season in G- in J- January. In January, it would have been more compressed. It would not have been less compressed. It would have been more compressed because guess what? They need to get into the Olympics. And will a lot of NBA players play in the Olympics? Probably not. But the league did not want to compete with the Olympics from a ratings perspective. The Olympics are ratings monsters. People watch the Olympics all the time. I can tell you firsthand, I fucking love the Olympics. Like, I get into swimming. I get into uh, track and field. Uh, You know, there are sports that I don't care about for four years. But when it comes to the Olympics, I am all the way in. So they didn't want to compete with the Olympics. They didn't want this season going to August. Because if the season went to August, then you'd have a compressed schedule for next year. Compressed offseason for next year. This was the only way the league was going to reset. So this idea that you had this whole like health and safety stuff and also like another thing on this, just real quick, now I'm kind of fired up about it. The reason that they, I think they have such a condensed second half is because they didn't know what the COVID thing would do to them. They didn't want to have a situation like baseball where they were canceling games left and right and then trying to backfill them. And they still had some of those issues. There were teams who were out for a week. The Bulls, actually, I don't know if Memphis is going to play the Bulls tonight. I, they have a lot of COVID stuff. Like Zach Levine's missing because of COVID. They have, they've had some COVID stuff spike up. So, like, the fact is, is, like, the reason they had a condensed schedule in the second half is because they were worried about COVID. And everybody else was worried about COVID. So, the, you can't, like... I understand that there's been a lot of injuries. I, I I understand it. I mean, our fucking guy Giannis was hurt, but at the same time, there were reasons for this, and and it's like it's so ignorant of the players, and it's so ignorant of even the Baxter Holmes, who like he does a good job. I'm not not trying to rag on him too hard, but like, and he's just a mouthpiece to these GMs and coaches. But again, like I would push back on that. Like I would push back on those GMs and coaches and say, yeah. I'll report this out. I'll give you the stats. and But if you're asked about it on like a first take, because I think this will lead first take. I think this is going to be a real discussion on first take and say, well, what's wrong with the NBA? That's where the product has done. 
It's been the most double digits win since the 70s. And I get it. Bucks won by double digits tonight, but most everybody was there. John Collins was out, but that's that's it. And some of those injuries, Simmons noted this about LeBron's injury, like he you get rolled up in any fucking year. Any year you can get rolled up at. Like Solomon Hill barreled into LeBron and rolled his ankle and had caused a high ankle sprain. That can happen at any point in any season. When it's soft tissue stuff, yeah, it's it's an issue. But I, I don't feel like we've had a lot of soft tissue injuries besides Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray obviously had the had the ACL tear. You know, Embiid had a bone bruise where he came down hard on his knee inside a game. Again, another thing that could happen at any point. It's not like Embiid blew out his hamstring. It's not even like Giannis blew out his hamstring. Knock on fucking wood there. But so I, I just feel like the hand wringing of everybody on this is a little ridiculous. And we just need to take a deep breath. I know we need to get to the season. And I know the quality of play is going to be down for the next few weeks. I just hope, as I said to Mitch yesterday, which you can go back and listen to, I hope we get four good games with Brooklyn and Philly for Milwaukee so we know that barometer heading into the playoffs. All right, moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. They are 7-5 and five to start the young year. Um, we've talked about on the show how much fun the Brewers have been, and now they face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who should not be taken lightly. The Pirates have... They split the series against the San Diego Padres. They won their series against the Cubs. They have, you know, won four of their last six. So they're they're not really as bad, I think. Well, they are not good, right? But they are frisky. They're pesky. They've always been pesky. I've said a bunch, you know, PNC Park is where weird shit happens. Now, they're not playing at PNC. They're playing at American Family Field. But it's it's going to be a series where the Brewers need to take care of business. You have a road trip with San Diego and Chicago upcoming. And take care of business here. Build yourself a cushion so then we can say, all right, just go 500 on the road. And that's that should be the goal every every home game. Like every home, ga- home series should really be try to win two out of three. And try to take those, get off to a good start on Friday. Now, I, I would argue Friday is easily their toughest matchup with JT Brudebaker. Brudebaker is a good pitcher. Like that's not going to be an easy one for them. They have Adrian Hauser going tonight. Uh, Hauser hopefully can kind of keep that ball down. He's had some bad home splits. So hopefully that's that's kind of cured. Now that was a lot of last year where there were no fans. So maybe with the fans, it's going to be a little different for a guy like Hauser. But yeah, they win tonight and then i think you kind of have smooth sailing the rest of the weekend you have trevor cahill who's been a gas can chad cool also who's been a gas can i think he has actually good numbers against the brewers for his career but you have two guys in cahill and cool who have not really got off to the best of starts brett anderson same sort of thing as as hauser you just gotta keep the ball down and the pirates don't have a ton of power so that should be easy they should be able to pound that ball into the ground and then you have freddie peralta who i'm fascinated to watch against another team now i think that's probably the biggest thing to watch this weekend i think if you are a brewers fan and you're like i need to watch one i can only really watch one game this week charlie which one do i watch i think you tune in sunday I think Sunday is the game to watch with Peralta 
uh, just to see if what he did against the Cubs he can do against another team. I realize the haters, of which there are many, will say, oh, Charlie, he's just done it against the Cubs and Pirates. Okay, yeah, whatever. But still, if Peralta's electric again, I think then we got to talk about if he's a must-watch guy. I mean, and if you kind of look down the schedule, he's going to play the Cubs again on sat, you know, next Saturday. That's his next appearance. So he's going to get the Cubs for a third time next Saturday. And then he may get the Dodgers. I think that that's possible, that we might get Peralta against the Dodgers, which is the weekend series uh, the after uh, the Pirates, which is a huge series. Uh, Brewers-Dodgers will be a fun one, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Dodgers are a wagon. They're 11-2, and two, but I, I would also remind people with the Dodgers being 11-2, and two, they've beat up on the Colorado Rockies in two series already. I think, what, they have two wins against, so two, six, so six of their 11 wins are against the Colorado Rockies. Like, a, just take it a little easy with the Dodgers they are a juggernaut don't get me wrong like they're the best team in baseball uh they deserve that but it's a little bit over the top to be like all right this Dodgers team is just unbeatable so yeah for the Brewers I I think with the Pirates series you just have to take care of business you just have to do your job don't put yourself I I would prefer to win tonight because if you win tonight then it's like all right all you got to do is win one more you win the game on Saturday then it's like all right Friday Sunday is house money and doesn't doesn't matter as much like it it'd be great to win i know sunday the motivation might not be there for the brewers to play a longer game with a trip to san diego kind of on the heels there where you you don't get a day off and you just have to go directly to san diego so i I know the brewers it's a definite getaway day for them so that's another reason why maybe take care of business early but yeah what i'm looking forward to in this weekend is pretty simple it's freddie peralta against a team not named the chicago cubs and it's can the Brewers, you know, kind of keep their headspace and, you know, play, not play down to their opponent. Because even though Pittsburgh is a little frisky, they're not that good. It's a, it's a little different than playing the Cardinals and Cubs for the last basically week and a half. Emotions were running high in Chicago. It would be assumed that a letdown could happen, especially tonight. So let's just hope that doesn't happen and that the Brewers keep winning and keep it up. So we'll see. All right, guys, that does it for our show. We'll be back Monday. I believe we're going to run out another manifesto on Monday. We're just trying to take care of business here before we get to the big show. Oh, actually, Monday, we might be doing tapping the keg. Mitch and I might be doing tapping the keg. So I, I should take should roll that back. Mitch and I actually might be doing tapping the keg Monday um, just because of schedules and things like that and me with my upcoming trip to Austin. All right, guys, have a good weekend. We'll be back Monday. See ya. Bye.